0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's guest is Bridget Harris. Bridget is the co-founder and CEO of You Can Book Me, a SaaS product that helps you schedule meetings. The product was launched in 2011 and today serves tens of thousands of users and handles almost half a million bookings each month bridget started her career in the film and television industry she then moved into politics where she ended up being an advisor to the uk deputy prime minister and then in 2012 she took on the role of ceo at you can book me the company is based in the uk and has been bootstrapped from day one all right with that let's get back to the interview and bring on bridget bridget welcome to the show hi omer now, I gave the audience, uh, a brief overview of your product and business, but tell us a little bit more about yourself personally. Who is Bridget when she's not working?
1: Uh, well, as you said, we've, I've had a bit of a checkered, checkered career. Um, when I started working in film and television, I hadn't been to university, um, at that point. So, you know, I, I got some great hands-on experience working in the media industry. And then I did a degree, um, sort of in my early twenties. And then after that, I ended up in politics. And so I sort of, f- from my twenties and thirties, um, spent a lot of time in politics in the UK. Um, but my husband, Keith, is a software developer. And whilst I was working in politics, he was, um, Busying away writing web applications and worked on a lot of projects with me in in politics and in a way what we do now with you can book me is a sort of a combination now of our interests in in all of those different areas because we get to work with multimedia style web projects we get to do a lot in terms of technology and web applications but then also that kind of bigger question about what the world is for and you know how to make things better um, I don't think it's an accident that we we do productivity. Tools now because we are, we are very motivated by um, trying to make the world a better place. I know that sounds a bit trite, but I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's true in our, in our case. Um, and we, we live a very happy life because we, we love working together. We're sort of a, a classic, hopefully successful husband and wife team. I heard on one of your earlier podcasts somebody said that finding a co founder was a bit like getting married. And I, I found myself nodding, thinking, yep, it really is. I, I don't know how, I could have, how, how we could do it individually, actually, uh, not being married.
0: Wonderful, now we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. Do you have a favorite quote?
1: I do In fact, I hope you don't mind if I've got two because sort of one's professional, and one's personal. so sure. as I said, uh, my degree was in in ancient history and sort of ancient Greek and classical history, and um the ancient Greeks had in in their temple in delphi um uh, sort of popular proverbs two of two one is nothing in excess. And the other one is be yourself. And I find myself quoting them a lot just to friends and to people. Cause I think it's, when you think about it, they seem simple, but nothing in excess really says a lot about what you're going to, what you're trying to get and what you're trying to gain. And be yourself, um, is a reminder that there's, there's going to be no happiness, um, when you're trying to pretend to be something you're not. Um, And then on a professional level, I I quoted this to our team recently, Richard Branson and who who better to um, be inspired about business quotes. He said, don't think what the cheapest way, don't think what's the cheapest way to do it or what's the fastest way to do it. Think what's the most amazing way to do it. And I found that personally very inspiring.
0: You know, there's something about Richard Branson quotes that are kind of always inspiring, but that one I haven't heard before, uh, but I like it. I I'm, might I'm yeah. have to print that out and stick it up somewhere. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, I was, I was trying to find, um, a sentiment to sort of try to explain to the team, you know, what we're about with You Can Book Me, what we're trying to achieve and to give them a sense of, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a little bit like, you know, what, what, what would the company do? What corporately, what is the company's character? And what I'm trying to say is, look, we're not just in it to try to get the cheapest, fastest, Uh, Way to do something? What would be the point in that? There's no value in that. We're trying to create value for people, and I think to do like what's the most amazing way to do something is bound to be creating value for people. I hope.
0: Now let's give our listeners a better understanding of you can book me. Uh, Who are your target customers, and what are the top pain points that you're trying to solve? Uh,
1: Well, well, uh, uh, the second. Question is probably the first thing to answer because the pain point everybody has, which is the back and forth hassle of trying to find a time um, that's convenient to meet somebody or book a resource or manage resources, that is a pain point that we find almost everybody has, and that leads us to the to your first question, was that well who our customers are. Uh, we have sort of three major sectors who use you can book me. Um, the biggest one, um, are the small business owners who, um, are working whilst their phone is ringing and they realize a long time ago that they can't manage both. And so they use you can book me and, and indeed any sort of booking process, booking software to take appointments online. Um, so that that whole thing gets managed automagically whilst they themselves are doing their work and they're sort of photographers or gardeners or therapists or consultants or, um, anybody who's charging money for their time. Um, we have another very, very big sector um, using You Can Book Me, which is the education and university sector. And they were very early adopters in the US to use You Can Book Me because You Can Book Me um, works by um, putting appointments straight into Google Calendar. And because so many schools and universities are using Google Apps for education, they were very well-placed to immediately plug in you can book me as a solution into the calendars they are already using so they use you can book me for parent teacher conferences and student uh, professor you know study hours and that kind of thing and indeed actually schools use you can book me just to manage laptop carts you know they've got 30 laptops and people have to book a laptop it's as simple as that um, and then the last section is actually, we're really proud of this, is that a huge number of tech companies and startups, particularly in the West Coast and East Coast and US, use You Can Book Me to manage their onboarding processes for their own customers, sales, marketing calls. Um, and it, it stands to reason that when you are yourself a tech company and you have a tech product, you're going to look for tech tools to make life easier for you.
0: Now, You Can Book Me is not the only scheduling software out there. Um, what do you think uh, you guys do differently or better that attracts the customers that you have today?
1: I think that's a really good question because, as you said, you know, scheduling scheduling has been around, you know, since the millennia. So there's no there's no kind of claim on our part that we've invented um, scheduling. But what we what we did do is, and I think this is partly to to do with the history of how we developed the tool. What really is unique about You Can Book Me is the experience for the people booking. So um, our starting point was the the end client's experience, i.e. the booker, not the person who set the um account up, but their end client. And what we hear back from our, our users is that their clients love You Can Book Me because it's essentially a one or two click process because you get this sort of very unique grid of times sort of displayed in a... In a sort of a day-by-day view, and you can just see the grid immediately, so the eye can immediately see whether somebody's available on a Tuesday afternoon or is free only on Saturday mornings. Pick the time that they want and go through the process of booking. And I think that's different to a lot of tools that were set up where they what they were essentially doing was putting traditional offline salon style booking software and putting it into the cloud. And 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 the perspective there is the receptionist or the admin assistant who was managing that software. And that's all about setting up big calendar resource management tools and lots of drop downs and lots of clicks and so on. And then the booker, you know, never actually had to engage with that process because you would talk to the human being who'd book you in. So when that software went online, it actually ended up with quite a complicated end ui sort of user interface experience for our for clients and that's something that we we just didn't have we've got a very clean and easy experience and so people you know as i said they come to us because they they know that they that their own clients want that experience to make it as simple and as easy as possible
0: let's talk about the early days where where did the idea for you can book me come from
1: um, so it came from another tool that we also run um, called When Is Good. And this is again, this is the relationship to the grid. So we launched in sort of 2007, 2008, um, an aggregate scheduling software tool called WhenisGood.net. And that, what that does is a slightly different thing to You Can Book Me. It finds time for a group of people to meet. Um, and this was our second web app that me and Keith had developed together and worked on. And that's where you see a grid of times and you paint over the times when you're free. And that's why um, we developed, you can book me because people were using their, when is good grids to try to display their personal availability for booking. So when we built, you can book me, it was on the back of what we could already see was being used and was a sort of a successful strategy for people. Um, So we, 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 we already had sort of an existing client base and demand for a booking service when we were when we were running when is good,
0: okay, got it, okay, so you have this idea for for this new business um what did you do
1: well i mean if <laughs> What we did is we, we learned from our experience that like we knew what we wanted to do because this, this wasn't the first thing that we'd worked on together. So, as I said, me and Keith had already done loads of projects working together on political software. Um, but we wanted to do something that was going to be commercially successful. And our first tool was actually tick boxer. It was a survey building tool. And with, with tick boxer, we didn't have any users and we didn't make any money. And so, and we soon abandoned it as a project because there was plenty of other much better tools out there. Then we built When is Good and When is Good, um, uh, had lots of people use it, still has thousands of people using it, but nobody gave us any money. And so then we developed You Can Book Me and You Can Book Me had both people using it and people giving us money. So when we when we launched You Can Book Me, we immediately knew because of our previous experience that it was something that was going to give us revenue. And by that point, and I think you're going to ask about this, like we were bootstrapped. So we um, we didn't we couldn't afford to carry on with lots and lots of projects that weren't making us any money we needed to see, you know, dollars and dimes. And that's what came in almost immediately from businesses who were desperate for a booking solution. So their pain in terms of managing their time was so great that they would really, they worked with very early prototypes in 2011, 2012. Um, and we could see immediately its potential. And so from then on, Um, And I'm sorry for any users out there that uses When is Good and loves it and knows that it hasn't had a feature improvement for three years. Basically, what happened was all production stopped on everything else that we did. And we we concentrated solely on you can book me. And we, it was in a sort of a prototype beta for a year. And then, as you said, I, we could see where it was going in terms of revenue and washing its own face. So I gave up the job I had been doing to sustain our family, domestic financial life in order to run the company um, full time to, to take it to the level where it is now.
0: Okay, so I'm just curious, so, like I said, so you have the idea um what happened did did Keith build the product himself? Uh, yes,
1: yes, he did, and um he it was something where we you know we did a very, very intuitive iterative process where we built, we built this sort of minimal viable product based on when is good. So we just built the thing that we could see people wanted from when is good, which is they wanted a grid of times that people could see at a glance when you were free, click a button, secure that slot. So that's what he built. And then we would have, in fact, actually we would have, he worked with loads of, um, you know, really, hard nosed business women who are doing nail tech you know a nail technician in uh in basingstoke in britain and um a wig and uh sort of hairpiece hairdresser specialist in florida and he'd have all of these women who are just who are therapists and beauty um uh consultants saying to him, Keith, I it needs to be like this. Keith, it's gotta be like that. You know, I need it drop you know, that my client is gonna have to choose it like this. I need it like that. So he basically and he, he there was a, a guy, a massage therapist in Canada who who he who, who worked with a lot. So a lot of the features and You Can Book Me were literally crafted by the users themselves that were telling Keith what they wanted. And at the time, we didn't know that this is actually a very familiar process to a lot of people now who know the lean startup methodology. We didn't know it, but we just followed it by virtue of that we didn't really have any other uh, sort of source of knowledge to reach out for. We were just building a web app that we wanted people to use. So it would stand to reason that when people would come and say, it needs this feature um, or can you do this? Keith would scratch his head a bit and sit there and write the code. And, you know, and it, it kind of took off from there. And, and, and I think people will, will, will say that this is still true today, that we are very, very customer focused. We have, we are very proud of our reputation for how responsive we are to people. Um, who's, who email us and who, you know, talk to us now. And it's extremely satisfying that when people email us now and say, hey, I like your tool, I like the look of it, but for me it really has to do this. And we go, yeah, we've got that feature. And it might have been something that was suggested to Keith three years ago, but he put it in and now it's a very fully featured tool as a result.
0: Okay, and and where did you recruit these these users from? Were, were they the people who were already using... Uh, when it's good. When it's good. Okay, now yeah. now the the, the the lean startup methodology is is all great, right? but I think uh, a common uh, mistake that I see um, a lot of startups making is that they get people to provide feedback, um, but that feedback doesn't necessarily um, turn out to be a good thing. So for example, you know, you can have people who will tell you that, yeah, I would use your product if it had these five things and you go and build those five things and then they'll tell you, well, yeah, but it's not really right for me or, you know, you know, they, they can give you a lot of feedback, but they don't get their credit cards out. The other, I think, potential challenge is, um, when you start to gather a lot of this feedback, uh, You can come up with a really varying list of requirements where, you know, two different people are thinking about two very different businesses and coming up with a bunch of very specific needs that might help them. But when you think about those features uh, across a broad user base, you may find in the long run that only... You know one percent of your users are using that feature, and so was it really worth investing the time to do that and so I'm curious in terms of it was great for you guys to get this feedback um but what were some of the the challenges with that process?
1: Well, I mean, I think you have just you've just laid them out there. I think that's absolutely spot on, and we definitely suffered from some of that um at various times um one of the things that we did once we realized feedback was rolling in, was we built a, funnily enough, we called it feedback frenzy, we built a feedback um, tool, so that people could vote on feature requests, so that we could try to sort of measure in terms of the number of, you know, votes higher up the scale, something was going to Do I mean, there were some things that got lots of votes that we were never going to do because they'd be technically very challenging and a bit off topic for us. But most of the time, when Keith was sort of sitting there going, right, what's my to do list? Okay, I'll look at the, I'll look at Feedback Frenzy and see what the top five feature requests are. I think that the other point to say is, is what you said is that, and I think this is, this is one of the things that we did fall into the trap of early on when people are tantalizing you, you know, tantalizingly sort of holding money saying, I'll give you, I'll pay you if you do this. That is a mistake. Don't do that, but do talk to paying customers. So the people we listen to are the people who are already paying us, um, who are saying, I, you know, I love this tool. I want to use it, but I also, it needs to, it needs to work like this for you. And if you think, well, this is a paying user, they're already giving us the dollars and. Um, if they're going to pay us and they're going to give us the dollars, and this is something that they've said and somebody else said it too, and it's voted up the the page, then other people like them who are also going to give us dollars are probably going to need this feature. And I think that that has sort of stand the test of time. As I said, now, the people who are using us now are very similar to those who were two or three years ago we were listening to very carefully, and it's the same character. But we have had to learn the hard way you know, you you like I, I, well. Sometimes people who gave us money and we bent over backwards to try to do the feature that they wanted, and then at the end of the day, we realised no, we just. You know, I found myself when I took over in 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 2012. There was sort of a backlog of things that we had promised people, or that we, you know, we we were trying to do in terms of the product roadmap. And I found myself having to write emails to people to say, you know, I remember there was a really high end hairdressing salon in New York and we just, you know, they'd already paid us $700. They really wanted the feature. And I said, I'm really sorry. We just can't do it. We're going to give you your money back. It's not possible. And that is very hard when you realize you've reached a line with customers and your priorities for your product or service is not going to satisfy them. But equally, you find sometimes with those conversations, they will come back and they'll go, "Okay, fair play. Let's. I want to carry on using your service, even if it isn't going to do all of the most perfect things." So I think sometimes, you know, you do, you learn by experience. You get you get better. I think over the years we have got better at it, and we now know who are the high quality people who have continued to give us amazing feedback. Um, so there's a there's a golf instructor in um, in, in California. Um, there's a driving instructor in Australia, and these guys have been with us for two or three years. They've paid us thousands of dollars over the over the over the years, and we really value their feedback. They know what they're talking about. They've invested their own time in our tool, and so it's like having your own private focus group. So I wouldn't discount it completely, but I do think you're right that there are that you, there are time wasters out there, and you just have to be better at spotting them.
0: So other than tapping into the, the customers or users that you already had with when is good, what other kind of um, marketing activities were you doing to, to acquire new customers? I mean, one of the biggest challenges of any bootstrap business is not having the money or enough money to, to spend on marketing and customer acquisition. So what were some of the other things that you guys tried?
1: Well, um, so I can't, I I can't really claim any credit for this because this is, we, we grew virally and organically because of the nature of the business that we're in. So scheduling is intrinsically viral. People are introducing us to their, to a network of people because they're scheduling themselves with it. So the thing that we did with You Can Book Me is that for everybody who, because it's a freemium, uh, tool um, on the page when you book somebody, there's an orange button that says "Get your free account." You know, powered for free by you can book me. There's a sort of a viral marketing button on that page, and that's the only thing we did to help grow um, awareness of the tool. And essentially, the, the the nature of of the problem that we're solving did the rest of the work. So. Uh, it stands to reason, you know, so, for example, in Canada, in Edmonton, Edmonton Public School Board uses You Can Book Me over the lifetime of them using us. They've processed 40,000 bookings and and they we give the tool away for free to public schools in the US and Canada. And so those 40,000 bookings are full of people, small businesses who have the same problem. We're introduced to the tool that way. And now we have a paintball center in Edmonton using us. There's a dog grooming, uh, uh, shop that uses, you know, so small businesses in Edmonton that are the lifeblood of our revenue streams, they were introduced to us through, um, people using You Can Book Me for free. So I'm not sure, you know, the lesson there is partly that those viral loops really do work. Referrals and trust in the product because somebody else has used it. Those are, those are the things that I think. Um have worked the best for us well have have been the only things we've done
0: and and do you did you kind of have that that sort of um the virality in mind when you were um trying to acquire customers for example, you mentioned you know some some larger businesses using your product and Um, scheduling a large volume of meetings was that in your mind or was that something that you sort of discovered in hindsight that if we have these larger customers using our product or we go after them they're going to they're going to have a bigger volume of meetings to schedule and that's going to help us reach more people through the product through this viral loop or, or was that something you discovered along the way?
1: No, we. it was definitely deliberate. So the the first thing was that one of my favorite web tools, other than You Can Book Me, obviously, is Weebly, weebly.com. It's a free website builder. And I loved Weebly um, from as soon as they launched. And um, they have exactly the same model where you get a free Weebly website, but you have to, you carry the free Weebly banner. So when we launch, You Can Book Me. You know, our, our our sort of business strategy was do what Weebly do because it's a great model. So that was the it was it was very deliberate in the sense we knew that that was going to help us grow. And then um, our early adopters, our early educational adopters, when when we realised that schools had this major problem of parent teacher conferences and how to manage it um we decided to give away the features that they needed to set those up for free in return for continuing to carry the button so um the not for profit package on you can book me if you have it you still have to carry the the marketing button and it was absolutely deliberate because it was a great way of exposing that our marketing button to hundreds of people in- i mean interestingly you know we have these massive companies use you can book me um but if it's an internal tool or you know if it if they've embedded it Quite often you can actually use a You Can Book Me product and you can effectively white label it. So people don't need to know that you're using You Can Book Me. So if you pay us, then you get to use a tool which is largely unbranded. So that doesn't actually help us very much or that gives us, that might return one or two people a month maybe in referrals. But the schools and the people are, are, are a huge base of people who use You Can Book Me for free. They are our marketing channel because they are carrying our advertising.
0: Looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you made?
1: Well, I think I've already talked about it a little bit. I think we definitely got distracted by side projects, um, you know, thinking that, you know, going off on some tangent, thinking that we could produce a feature for somebody just because they'd given us some money. Um, And I think that uh, because we were... Scrapping around a lot, you know, you're hustling a lot for what you're trying to achieve within the means. And so for the first couple of years, when it's good and you can book me, didn't make any money. So it was very hard to justify me and Keith giving up full time jobs in order to sort of develop them. So we, we did get distracted. We built. Web applications we should never have built. Um, you know, we we got um, flattered into uh, various things when people, you know, we got um, TechCrunch's Mike Butcher approached us and said, "Oh, I really want to do something on." Uh, da- um, it was called Dance Card. It was a project to do with conference app scheduling, and it was a really good idea and it was an interesting experience. It was a massive distraction, but we sort of thought, "Oh, you know, look, Mike Butcher, and we, we we've got to, you know, we have to, we can't say no." And actually you know, looking back, we should have focused much more in a much more laser-like way much earlier. As I said before, as soon as we realized that you can book me was going to make us money and that this was going to carry us to the point that we are now, we could have brought that forward by at least a year if we hadn't just messed about on side projects. I've got other mistakes as well, if you want to hear them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's hear another one.
1: Um, another one was, um, uh, we spent, we wasted money on consultants, which is a very, um, sensitive topic because it, the whole community does rely on a big network of people who are willing to sell services. Um, and I think that we, when you can't hire people, you, um, and it depends on actually, it also really matters who your co-founders are. are. So some fabulous startups have a really good designer as a co-founder. So, you know, they, they tend to be the ones that will make a beautiful front end and make everything look gorgeous. Me and Keith are lots of things, but we are not designers. So we had a big absence at the very beginning of decent graphic design or logos or any kind of branding to speak of. It was essentially, you know, Keith version of web designers white HTML, you know, <laughs> aerial font. So, um, we struggled and I think we spent too much money on sort of people trying to sell as a dream. And I think you can waste a huge amount of money. It's something that I am much more careful about now with the consultants that we do employ. Um, I take references. I speak to previous clients. I do competitive, um, bids for the work that i'm asking people to do um and i'm very brutal with the consultants that i do employ when they're not when i'm not happy with their work because i think at the beginning i was sort of so grateful you know if we'd borrowed a bit of money and we could spend four or five thousand pounds it was massive amount of money for us and people tell you that they're going to give you this service for 700 pounds so i'm saying sterling but you know what i'm talking about you know a thousand dollars a day um you get so bowled over by how expensive they are you think that they're going to do great work and i think it's actually it wasted a lot of money and time time probably more than than money um on us thinking that consultants were going to bring in a solution for us um and i think that the other one which again i sort of look back on and think is probably a result of being bootstrapped we didn't have enough outside people coming and talking to us to say this is happening so we have an internal uh sort of uh, uh catchphrase in our team which is this is happening because our growth is you know, really, we we grow sort of 100% every six months in terms of the volume of the tool. It's very hard to believe it. And I think, again, when you're earning buttons every month, two or three years ago, we were sort of $500 a month. It's very hard to believe it really is happening. And so we didn't get moving quick enough. We didn't take the plunge quick enough and go, actually, let's go for this. I wish we had done that a lot sooner.
0: I mean, it doesn't sound like there was that much of a delay. You said that the product launched in 2011 and... It was 2012 that you 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 took on the role of CEO. Late um, September 2012, so I suppose okay. that's how I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, but we, we had a lot of we had a lot of ground to catch up because uh, you know that was because th- that was when we I was you know as a sort of as co-founders we were at the point where we could live off you know the a, a fractional amount of money that the tool was was um, was producing. I suppose what I'm saying is. A year previously, we could have taken the plunge in terms of borrowing more money or, you know, somehow bootstrapping our own financial life somehow to do it earlier because everything that we achieved in 2013 was just playing catch up. So I now feel, I only feel really it's the last 12 months we've been seriously motoring along in terms of our business.
0: Okay. So you started to get some, I guess, meaningful traction in 2012. So you... You came on board as CEO, um, yeah. and yeah. Tell me, tell me about what happened in 2013. Why, why did you feel like you were playing catch up? Because it sounds like you didn't have to do much sort of deliberate marketing other than, um, you know, the 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 virality within the product that was that was driving, um, you know, growth for you, um, and things just seemed to be growing um you're listening to your customers you're building what they want so why did you feel like 2013 was still catch up was it because you just had a backlog of things that you just hadn't got a chance to do
1: well some of it was just simply cosmetic um so was just really like the front end of our website really needed updating you know we did need we you know i spent a lot of my first year finding people who were going to who helped us redesign the website and scrub it up you know, me and keith were doing a lot of busking so we were just um you know doing it all ourselves buying iStock stock photographs and you know you just you just think all oh, that will do and in, in a way it does work you, you know if people that you're proving the point if people continue to sign up and use your product even if you've got sort of rubbish graphic design but on the other hand in order to be a credible product um just to start from the point that people are going to trust you with their business cuz you know people trust you can book me to take bookings for them that is their livelihood so you have to look credible and there's only so much leeway people are going to give you um so it was the, the catch up year was about Getting professional graphic designers and front end developers. Also about extracting the things that Keith had been doing all by himself, and and splitting out that role. And again, that will sound very familiar to people listening when you realize that you wear fifteen hats. And the job of growing is to, to sort of take various hats off and go. Oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Somebody else is going to do it. So Keith was doing this great job of listening to customers, but of course it was stopping him from developing. Um, so After a while, I started talking to all of the customers and then Kate started talking to all the customers. And now we have three full time people who talk to our customers. And that's not an inconsiderable job to do, simply setting up the infrastructure that's going to work so that emails don't get lost. Everybody knows what's happening. You know, we get all of the sort of efficiency into the system so that now we're growing and we're hiring more product support people and we have a system that they you know, they can just drop into. And so it's it's about scaling. You know, we can scale that because we're not in kind of chaos where we've got one inbox and nobody knows, you know, whether somebody's replied to that email or not. So it was that kind of work that I was doing. It was kind of housekeeping work of setting up systems, not least all of the financial, HR, logistical stuff, which, as I said, You know, any advice I would have about somebody doing this is like, you know, do get the best system you can as early as possible. So another um, software tool that we use, which I just really wished we'd started, even when when you're only earning, you know, a dollar a month, it seems ridiculous getting some kind of fancy accountancy software to manage that one dollar. But actually, (laughs) well, and, and, and we didn't. But in 2013, we realized that our turnover and our costs We're getting to the point where our management accounts, you really start to look at things like profit and loss. And I never had cared about my balance sheet or profit and loss when it's just four buttons on a table. But once you start to realize that, you know, all of this is really important, you need a proper system. And so we introduced zero.com, which again is fabulous. And there's other products out there that people use for accountancy. We introduced zero. We then realized, no, we need to, we actually need to go back to zero. So we backdated all of our accounts from 2008, or something, whenever we set up our bank account, and we put it all into zero. So we then had five years worth of management accounts in a system that could give us. You know, at a click a button reporting, it was amazing. It was transformational. The kind of um, ability to scale and manage the growth that was happening in 2013 simply by virtue of the fact that all our invoices, our VAT, you know, our sales tax type returns were all happening automatically because of Zero. Zero was like hiring a financial director for our company because it just did, it just did all of the heavy lifting. So we were integrating. All of the tools that we now take for granted in 2015, we were integrating them in 2013 and just basically setting up the shop. And I suppose, okay, maybe I'm being unfair on myself, but I think that in 2011, when we were doing When Is Good, you know, when we were figuring all of that out, I wish that I had just been more professional earlier and set it all up. As even if it was like a mini baby business, even it, though it feels ridiculous, actually, if you're ambitious and you think it's going to scale and you think it's going to work, there is no harm in getting all your systems in place at a small scale um, so that, that you can then just watch them grow without any further effort.
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah I think that's a good, really good point. Now, I want to talk about the, the current business and and kind of where you are today. But before we do that, there was something that you said that I think is a really important point about trying to perfect the design and the look of the product and you know I I think a lot of us get caught up in that and and you know I'm I'm just as guilty as anyone and having come from with my background I think you know uh, I've worked in environments where we obsess over pixels right yeah. and and have meetings about that pixel um and so so having i i remember f- the first time i looked at you can book me uh, i guess a, you know a couple of years ago and i saw the booking calendar which which at the time just looked like you know sort of a, a sort of a raw html table which i assume was kind of keith's design right um, <laughs> you know but the point was you know, it may not look like the most sexiest kind of a user experience, but it was still working and you were still solving a problem for people. And they were still able to sort of use the tool to help them in their daily lives. And as a result, the product was growing. Whereas I think a lot of other people may have said, well, maybe we shouldn't even release the product until it looks much better. Right. And I think that's a really important lesson.
1: Uh, do you know what? I think you could write entire books, sort of shelves of books on this topic, because I think you're absolutely right. I would love, I would love it if you can, I mean, I, I, I find it painful when I see formatting that isn't right or anything else, but your people have an extremely high tolerance for stuff that you and I would wince at. They wouldn't even notice because, as you say, the solution that you're offering is so important to them. I also think that in web design worlds, you can get so wrapped up because you know so much about it but your average web user doesn't know uh, as much about it. we have benefited I think in probably the things to look for more is functionality. So what we're trying to focus on more now is UI is so it people do notice if the save button isn't where they think it should be or the drop down isn't where they think it should be. And that's what bothers them and, and that's what makes them angry when the tool actually causes them stress. So a lot of work we've done recently has been trying to improve our UI and trying to make the user journey easier for people to set stuff up. But I absolutely agree with you. And you know, as I said, in two- 2012 there was just me and Keith we didn't have a third we should have had a third co-founder um who cared all about this stuff and wanted to do it and wanted to you know develop that side of it we didn't so our 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 response was, and you can google you can book me and find him Rocket boy is an iStock stock photograph. We got into such a kind of sort of hair tearing out moment where we just thought we just can't do it we can't we we can't design this. Keith put the whole thing into bootstrap, which is a great um twitter platform you know it's a platform built by twitter for um websites we put you can put me into bootstrap and then we bought this massive great big image of a boy with a rocket strapped to him and we just stuck it on our front page and said you can book me (laughs) and you know and that Rocket Boy lasted about nine months before we got some professional designers in to do a proper front page and I have to say I looked at our growth rates throughout the whole period and you know Rocket Boy didn't Didn't improve our growth rate, didn't damage it either. Then we spent 20 grand on, you know, fabulous web designers coming in with really fancy top end stuff. And our growth rates was exactly the same, you know, throughout 2014. So there you are. If your product is, is really good and you're reaching out to the right people, then they will use you. But ultimately, as I said, I've been more interested in web design simply from a credibility and a reputation point of view. That's what I've cared about, but I'm not obsessive about it.
0: Yeah, very good lesson there. All right, let's talk about the the business today. What sort of revenue are you doing?
1: Well, as I said, we've been growing really fast. So our revenue's grown like from buttons two or three years ago, like 130% every, every year for the last three years. So um, although there's no point in me really saying what our monthly revenue is, I'm expecting to get to a million dollars ARR by the end of this year. And um, that's what we're modeled to to do. So we're, you know, we're doing really well. And more importantly, for, for me, is that we um, were profitable. So our costs are less than our monthly intake. But I have to say, I watch our monthly revenue like a hawk, because I, I always take pride that when the payroll goes out, you know, the money's in the account, The payroll goes out, and I've squared, I've, you know, they've added up. So and that's what really, really matters at the end of the day, which is that you don't run out of cash.
0: Yeah. I mean, congratulations. I think getting to a million dollars in annual recurring revenue is, is a huge milestone for any business and especially for a bootstrap one. So that's very impressive.
1: Thank you. Well, as I said, it's, it's, we're, we're just, we're like a couple of months short just yet. So we have, (laughs) I'll accept your congratulations. I'll email you when, when we do, Omar. So I'll, I'll, so I can get your congratulations then. Okay.
0: That's a deal. All right, Bridget, it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and uh, I'd like you to answer them as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Yep. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received?
1: Um, talk less, listen more. I'm not sure I really follow it, but I, but I certainly, <laughs> it, was, it was important. Somebody said to me, I talk too much and I think they're right.
0: <laughs> what book would you recommend to our audience and Why?
1: Uh, well, I already talked about it. Lean Startup. I actually think it's, it, I read it. It was a bit like a revelation. I thought fabulous. But I also would recommend uh, Nelson Mandela's um, Long Walk to Freedom, which I which I read because of somebody else's recommendation to read it. And I actually think it's an amazing story and very inspiring.
0: Wonderful. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: Optimism. I think you've just got to believe you can do it. You can't, you can't do this job. You can't take risks without being optimistic.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit other than you can book me?
1: Well, I think, you know, it's true. I love You Can Book Me. I use it all the time as an executive to manage my own bookings. I genuinely do love You Can Book Me. I do like using When Is Good as well when I have to schedule a meeting with a group of people. But actually, my other one is was Weebly just when, because I solve so many problems by just rolling out a new website. And Weebly is a fabulous tool. Oh, and MailChimp. MailChimp, Weebly, and You Can Book Me are my favorite tools.
0: Now, if you had to start over tomorrow, what type of business would you go and build? You know, in other words, what are some of those crazy ideas that you still have lingering in your head that you wish you had the time to pursue?
1: Oh, gosh. So I was thinking hard about this because it's very hard because me and Keith have spent 15 years figuring out out products. Like You can book me as, is the end of a long line of stuff that we've actually done. So, you know, my first on my list would be to try to finish off the ones that we started and never got anywhere with, but they were really good ideas, like the um, price per square foot web app where you're trying to buy houses and you want to figure out, you know, the real value of the house, that kind of thing. But actually, the thing that I would really like to, which we have done a version of, is a, I think the world needs a liberal um, database to manage personal data. So I think we need um, a proper look at how people uh, have to share their personal information with authorities local authorities and governments to do with providing services So it's a bit of a political thing but i actually think that um we as a as a population as a civilization can take charge of the way we manage information about ourselves and we shouldn't wait for governments to do it for us
0: well what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know
1: um that in my my life as a working in film and television that I used to be a, a live a vision mixer for live television I used to vision mix live
0: TV Oh my goodness you've done everything <laughs> That's probably why I've ended up
1: being an entrepreneur because there's no no other careers for me <laughs>
0: <laughs> And finally what is one of your most important passions outside of your work
1: Well it's got to be my kids because obviously when I'm not doing you can book me I'm, I'm I'm desperately trying to you know spend time with my children bringing them up
0: Great answers. Bridget, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out more about You Can Book Me, they can go to youcanbook.me. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Oh, they can email me, Bridget, at youcanbook.me. I'm on Twitter, Bridget Today. Uh, just email the team if you want to get in touch. I'd love to talk to people who've heard this interview and they've got questions.
0: Wonderful. Bridget, thanks again. I wish you continued success and I will definitely be looking forward to that email when you officially hit a million dollars.
1: I promise I will. I'll email (laughs) you. Thank you, Omar.
0: Take care. Bye. Bye.